a, uh, a shleishim is never an easy event, um, especially for someone so young as, as Dina Leia, 19 years old, full of life, so beloved and uh, so full of love. And it's, uh, it's a difficult event. I, I want everyone to understand, first of all, that the family um, has, in, 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 in privacy, has discussed and um, shared memories of Dina Leia. And uh, the purpose of tonight's event <clears throat> is a dedication a monument, if you will, uh, that each of us can take on in our own lives and do this for the, for the elevation and in, in the merit of, of Dinalea. Tonight's talk is entitled, Aptly, The Soul of a Child. We heard Mordechai um, lead the completion of the study of Mishnayis. And, and as he mentioned, the, the word Mishnah is the letters of Nishama, which means soul. And really, a Shleishim, the 30-day memorial uh, event, is a time to reflect upon a soul. A soul's short time in this world and what it's accomplished and as the wisest of all men said it, yiten that those who are living shall take it to heart. Those of us who, re- who remain here in this world, souls and bodies, should hopefully take a lesson, um, some direction, some focus in our own lives um, on the occasion of, of the, the, the 30-day memorial. We're just coming from Rosh Hashanah. Yesterday was, was, was Rosh Hashanah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And in the Haftorah, one of the things that we read about when it's describing Hashem's special love for the Jewish people is this very poignant metaphor that compares the Jewish people to a child. The, the words are well known. Havein yaker li Ephraim im yelid shashuim. Isn't my son Ephraim, Ephraim refers to the entire Jewish people, a precious child? Isn't he a child of delight? And um, all of us understand immediately the, the metaphor of a child, the preciousness of a child, the beauty of a child. But I want to share with you a thought um, from, from the Orachayim. The Orachayim points out specifically that the reason in this Haftorah, which we read on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Day of Judgment, when we're being judged by Hashem, why do we specifically want to invoke the fact that we are like Hashem's precious beloved little child, not just a ben, a ben is a son, but a yelet. A yelet means a little child, a yingalit, 
a little boy. Why are we like a little child? So the Erechayim says like this. Generally speaking, there's nothing better for social distancing. He doesn't use the term social distancing, but I'm using the language of today. There's nothing better for social distancing, meaning more automatically effective than smelling bad. A person who has a bad smell on him automatically is going to make people stand away. And yet a remarkable thing is that children, especially little babies, they often don't smell so good. And yet it never, it never causes a parent to refrain from holding their child, from picking up their child, from looking at the child and, and delighting in him or her and thinking how beautiful this child is. So the Eurachim specifically says, why do we want Hashem to think of us as a little child? Because we know that faults that you would not overlook when it comes to an adult you not only overlook, but it doesn't even bother you when it comes to a cute little baby. I, I, I think there's something important there for us to consider, and it's not just about Rosh Hashanah. It's really about all year round. Why are babies... Beloved, why are babies precious? Why is it so easy to uh, to find a baby lovable? So I, I was thinking, you know, parents when their when their child is 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 a baby and he's lying there in his crib or her crib, they have so much nachas from their child. And it's really funny because the child didn't do anything. <laughs> what are you proud of? What are you proud of? The child didn't do anything yet. And yet, everybody looks at the baby and they're so proud. So, what, where, where's this coming from? What's this about? Nobody says to their baby lying in their crib, hey, listen, why don't you grow up, learn how to talk, we'll go out for coffee, we'll have some conversations, and I'll figure out if you're the kind of person that I like. Why don't you go accomplish something, you know, you have something to show for yourself, you'll have a CV, you know, you have a, a resume, and then I'll see if, you know, if I like you. Nobody says that to their baby. The baby gets a free pass. Automatically, the baby is beloved, and not just beloved, we are proud of the baby. We have nachas from the baby. It's a funny thing, isn't it? But here's the thing. There are two types of nachas. There's nachas because of what you've done. I'm proud of what you've done. And then there's a much more essential nachas that's much deeper which is, I'm proud of who you are. When Hashem looks at the Jewish people, yes, there is a certain degree of nachas over what we do when we do mitzvahs, but there's a deeper nachas that Hashem gets that has nothing to do with mitzvahs, has nothing to do with anything that we do, it has to do with who we are. 
And this is what is referenced in the verse. In fact, it's one of the verses, the 12 psukim, which the Rebbe instituted, that every child should know and know by heart and be able to teach to their friends. That Hashem looks at the Jewish people and says, They are the work of my hands to be proud of. He's proud of them just for who they are. And that's what we see when we look at a baby. We do not put conditions. We do not put uh, 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 limitations on our pride of them. We don't say, maybe grow up, accomplish something, you know, then you know, we'll evaluate it and we'll decide whether or not we're proud of you. We look at them and we are proud of who they are just because they exist, just because they are. So tell me, when are we right? When we look at the baby and we have unconditional pride? Or when the baby grows up and all of a sudden they have to earn pride? They have to earn worthiness. They have to prove that they're worthy of validation. When are we right? When we give them unconditional pride? When we're proud of them just because? Or when we tell them, we'll be proud of you when you earn it. And if you want to be like Hashem, and you want to be proud of your child the way Hashem is proud of your child, then the answer is obvious. We were right when they were babies, when we put no conditions on our pride. And we, 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 we increasingly drifted from that when we started putting conditions on it. So when it comes to a baby, we get it right. I'll tell you when else we get it right. Unfortunately, when else do we look at someone and we say they're perfect, they're holy? We don't scrutinize them anymore. We don't evaluate them. We don't compare them to others. We just say they're good, they're beautiful. When do we do that? Unfortunately, after they pass away. I'm sure people are familiar with the, the saying we have, Achreimes Kedeshim Emer. Those are, are parshas uh, from, from Sefer Vayikra in succession. But Achreimes, after passing, Kedeshim, holy Emer is what you should say. You say that somebody's holy after they passed away. Okay? So, why do we say somebody is holy? and perfect the way they are when they're a baby or when they just passed away. Why is that? Why, do these, why are those the two times when everyone gets a free pass? Why are we so liberal at those times and say everyone's perfect? And maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're being too soft. Maybe we're being too gentle, you know. It's like the participation trophies. Everyone gets a trophy. Everyone's a winner, right? Maybe we need, we need to be tough, right? Maybe we should start putting conditions on our love and our pride of babies and of the departed. No, but nobody thinks that. You know why nobody thinks that? Because the one time, or actually the two times in a person's life when everybody has clarity is either when they just got to this world or they just left. And why is it? Why is it that we realize how precious and pure and holy a person is either when they just got to this world or when they just left this world? It's very simple. 
Because what makes every one of us precious and pure and perfect? The neshama. The neshama. The neshama is precious and pure and perfect. The soul that you've placed within me is pure, is perfect. So when the soul just got to this world, we can still sort of pick up, even regular people like us, can still sort of pick up on the fact this otherworldly being has just arrived from, other, from, from another plane of reality. We sense the neshama. I mean, but in a different way. When someone's a baby, of course we sense the neshama. What, well, there's nothing to get in the way. They haven't established themselves as a human being. They don't have yet, yet a personality. So, so of course it's the neshama. What do you see but the neshama? And also when they pass away, when they've left their worldly uh, existence behind. And then all they have is the neshama. So then again, everyone becomes pure and holy and precious and perfect. Why? Because again, now they're just the neshama. So the two times that we get it right are the two times when we're seeing people as their neshama. Either when they just got here, when they're babies, or they just left when they've passed away. The question for us is, if we can work on all those days and months and years in between those two points, and start seeing each other, as precious, pure, perfect, and holy. Start seeing the neshama in each other after you're no longer a baby anymore and before you've left this world after 120. You know, there's a Gemara in Nidorim, Daf Samach Vav Medalef. It talks about a man made a nether that he's not going to marry a particular uh, woman. Now, when a person makes a nether, the only way to get out of it is you have to go be shoil by a chochm. That means you have to go ask the sage, and the sage has to find what's called a pesach, an opening. And what's, a, what's the opening? He has to find some fact that had you known it at the time you made the, the, the vow, you would never have made that vow. So in this particular, you know, like if a person says, uh, I'm not going to eat milchiks anymore, and then you come to get absolved of the vow, and so the chacham will say, well, did you know ice cream is milchik? No, I didn't know that. If I had known that at the time of the oath, I would never have made such an oath. Okay, fine, so you're, you're released. So this guy made a vow, made a nether, he's not going to marry a certain woman. And uh, for whatever reason, it was, uh, it was not a vow that he, uh, there was pressure that he shouldn't keep it. Anyways. Long story short, he goes to Rabbi Yishmael. Who was Rabbi Yishmael? Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha. Rabbi, Rabbi Yishmael Koin Gadol. We're going to read about Rabbi Yishmael in just uh, a week from now on Yim Kippur when we read about the Asari Haruge Malchus, about the ten martyrs. Rabbi Yishmael was one of the ten martyrs who, who, was, who was brutally tortured and, and, and murdered as a leader of the Jewish people. He was murdered by the Romans. We read about his fate in the Machser on Yom Kippur Day. So Rabbi Yishmael was the particular chocham in this story, the particular sage. This man came to Rabbi Yishmael, he says, I made a nether, I'm not going to marry this particular woman. So uh, Rabbi Yishmael says, let me see what I can do to find uh, the Pesach, you know, to find the, 
the loophole to, to get you out of it. Has to be something that if you had known at the time of the of the of the vow, you would never have made the vow. So he arranged that they should bring this woman to him. And uh, what did he do? What did Rabbi Ishmael do? He gave her a makeover. Can you believe that? Atana gave a young lady a makeover. You can make a reality show out of this, right? He gave her a makeover, and he decked her out in jewels and fine clothing and the whole thing, and she looked like a million bucks. After she was all dressed to the nines, they brought her in, and uh, Rabbi Ishmael asked this young man, he says, young man, is this the young woman that you said that you would never marry? He took one look at her and he said, no, not this young woman. Why would I say something fo so foolish like that? Of course I didn't say that. That was the Pesach. If I had known she could look like this when she was made over, I would never have made, right? That was the whole point of the, of the makeover, right? So Rabbi Shmuel lifted the vow. That's not the end of the story. It's not the point of the story. The Gemara then continues and says, Be'esei Shah. At that moment, Bacha, Rabbi Yishmael Amar. Rabbi Yishmael cried. He wept. He wept to Hashem and he said, Kol b'nais Yisrael yafes, nois. All Jewish daughters are beautiful. But poverty mars their beauty. This is the lesson. This is the lesson for each of us. The neshama is a precious, beautiful, perfect daughter of Hashem. It comes down to this world. And the poverty of this world, of being a neshama in a body, and a nefesh and being in gullus, and all the distractions of, of, of ilm haza, of this physical world. And it takes a toll. Don't fool yourself that it takes a toll. And when you meet this neshama as it is in a body, you don't necessarily recognize, you don't necessarily see that perfection that's inside. You have to be a maven, like Rabbi Yishmoel, to be able to see that, to understand what the potential is there. Rabbi Yishmoel was able to see it. He understood. Understand, this whole story is a parable. It's not about makeovers. It's about the potential of every single Jew. When he saw a Jew who doesn't look perfect, he understood it's only a question of a diamond in the rough. It's only a question of revealing what's inside and bringing it out. He knew that all that beauty is already there. And this is why he cried and he wept. And he said, All of the Jewish people are beautiful. But the poverty of being in this exile and being in this world takes a toll. What do you want? So what am I saying? That each of us should be a Rabbi Yishmoel. You should meet a Jew and you should see them for their neshama. That would be nice, but I'm not even saying that. 
Maybe that's a level. Maybe we can't reach that. To be able to meet somebody and see them for their soul, to see the pure neshama within, maybe, maybe, maybe that's too lofty for us to aspire to. But I'll say this. We have a Perek Lamed base of Tanya. We have a book called Tanya, which is our basic guidebook to life. Chapter 32, which is in Hebrew, Lamed Beis, which is the word lev, which means heart. The heart of our guidebook in life tells us one thing very clear. That at least conceptually, at least as an idea, we have to devote ourselves to seeing others as their souls. Can we actually see souls? Are we a tzaddik, a rebbe? Who, who looks at a, at a Jew and sees the spiritual being within? Okay, no, maybe not. But we know the truth. We know the fact that it's there. Like in Chassidus, it talks about Hasagas HaMohus and Yediyas HaMetzias. Okay, so maybe you've never been to the moon, but you've seen pictures, right? Unless you're a conspiracy theorist. So maybe you can't see in the Shema, but you know it's there. And we have Tzadikim who told us what's there. And we have Tzadikim who showed us the belief that we have that each one of us has this power within. So it comes a time to reflect, to take to heart a message, a message that will change, hopefully, our own personal lives and change our homes, change our families, change our communities, and by extension, hopefully change the world, is to start to see the pure, precious neshama. You know, the Abdurov used to say that you could find Avas Yisrael. They called him the Ayav Yisrael, the Abdurov. He used to say you can find Avas Yisrael in every word in the Torah. So one of the Talmudim said, what about Balak? Balak is the name of an anti-Semitic king. He was a Jew hater. In the word Balak, you can find Avas Yisrael, the love of Jews. He says, sure, Balak's an easy one. It's a Rosh it's an acronym. Base Lamad Kuf, love your fellow as yourself. So they said, hold on a second. V'yohafta is with a Vav, not a Vase. Okay, Kameicha is with a Chof, not a Kuf. So only one out of the three letters is actually correct. So the Abdurov said, when it comes to you can't be so fussy. And by the way, that is one approach to loving each other, is take off your glasses and you blur your vision and you don't see so well, and it becomes easier to love each other. You know, it's like putting a little uh, gauze on the, on, the, on the lens, right? And then there's another approach. And that is the approach, almost the opposite, actually. Not to say that if you can't find what to love about a Jew, don't look so closely. Stop looking so closely. Stop scrutinizing. No, the opposite, actually. If you can't find what to love about a Jew, look closer. You're not looking close enough. What does it mean, look closer? A little patience, a little tolerance. Take a little time. Try to appreciate what every single one of us has to offer. 
because Hashem does not send superfluous souls to this world. Every single soul that comes to this world comes here to accomplish a mission that no soul has ever accomplished before and no soul will ever accomplish after. And so if you think that there's not something awe-inspiring about every Jew, even a child, because if we're talking about a soul, what difference does it make, a child, a grown-up? If you don't think there's something to be in awe of about every Jew, you're not looking close enough. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the trap, how we get distracted, how we get caught up in, um, in incidental or in side points that cause us not to be able to hone in and see the soul, or at least appreciate that a soul is there. We know that uh, the Jewish people, we are descended from the 12 tribes. And from the 12 tribes, there are two matriarchs, Rachel and Leah. Now, what do we know about Rachel and Leah? We're told, The eyes of Leah were tender or bleary. It's an interesting thing thing to say about one of our matriarchs. And Rachel was beautiful of features and form. So a little bit fun. First of all, (laughs) when it's talking about Leah, talking about bleary eyes, what kind of a thing is that to say? Second of all, it's talking about Rachel, And it's saying that she's beautiful. I mean, I'm sure she was beautiful, but that's how we speak about our matriarchs. So obviously it means spiritually beautiful. I mean, it means both also. It's literal as well. But it means spiritually beautiful. She was a beautiful tzaddikis. Okay, then we have another problem. Then what was Leah? The bleary eyes doesn't just mean physically. It also means something spiritual. So what are you telling me spiritually about Leah? Rachel was a perfect ten spiritually. And Leah was what? What was she spiritually? So we have to understand, first of all, literally, what does it mean, the bleary eyes? Rashi helps us out right there on the Pasuk. He says her eyes were bleary because she was crying all the time. Why was she crying all the time? Because everyone used to talk. You know, you know how people talk? Okay. So they talked back then too. <laughs> so what did everyone used to talk? They used to say, you know that um, Lovin has two daughters, and his sister Rivka has two sons. And so therefore, they're going to make a shidduch between them. The older son will marry the older, do- uh, the older daughter, and the uh, younger son will marry the, the younger daughter. So basically, Leah, who is the older, will marry Esav, and uh, Rachel, who is the younger, shall marry Yankiv. So her whole life, Leah grew up hearing she's going to marry Esav. Now, she, she knew who Esav was. He was a wild hunter. It's a wild guy. She didn't want to marry this wild guy. She wanted to marry uh, Yankiv. He was very refined, very respectable, a young scholar. And her whole life, they didn't even give her a chance. They said she's going to marry this wild guy. So she was always crying. And because she cried all the time, you know, it made her, it affected her appearance. And she looked sad. She looked kind of washed out. Her eyes were, were mushy, bleary. Okay. 
what, what's the point of all of this for, for us? Torah is not a history book. Torah is a guidebook. So Chassidus explains like this, that all of us are either Rachels or Leahs. You know, like we're all from the 12 tribes. Well, even more basic than that, we're all either from Rachel or from Leah. I don't mean genealogically, I mean spiritually. There are Rachel types and there are Leah types. What's a Rachel type? A perfect 10. Beautiful of form, beautiful of appearance. Those are the, I'm talking spiritually. Those are the people, they go into the system, they go into yeshiva, and they are model students, and teachers always write comments. It is such a pleasure. It is so easy to teach your child, right? Those are the people who don't struggle. And Baruch Hashem, there's nothing wrong with not struggling. I mean, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Those are the people that they are the natural success stories. And uh, it's just a pleasure to watch them succeed and everything they take to, they, they do well at, and they're likable, and they don't struggle socially, and they don't struggle with, with they don't struggle scholastically. It's beautiful. And then there's the Leia. Leia is unconventional. A Leia type. Those are the people who struggle. Those are the people who don't have it easy necessarily in life. Those are the people who uh, don't always fit in. You know, lonely in a crowded room. Terminally unique. Always wanting to be a part of and instead feeling apart from. The sensitive souls. And they cry a lot also. And especially they cry because people look at them and they say, you know, why can't you be more like your sister, Rachel? You know, she fits in so much better. And um, so she cries. Leah cries a lot because they, they tell her, because she's unconventional, we have a shidduch for you. You're going to marry Asaph, this wild hunter, this crazy guy. So they write her off. They dismiss her. Instead of being on the track to accomplish all the great things that her sister Rachel is right next to her accomplishing, they, 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 they put her in the interesting category. You know that damning word in our community, interesting. You are interesting, and you can have an interesting life, and we've already written an interesting, you know, we've already made a little box for, for the interesting people for you. You know, that's, that's please go there. That's, that's the layout. I want to tell you a story. There was uh, a young man in Eretz Yisrael, a yeshiva dropout, and um, his father was a, was a rabbi, but he, he dropped out. And he, he really dropped out. He, was, he, was, he used to party hard. He would work in the daytime driving a tractor, and in the night he would go to the discos, and he lived it up. He barely slept all day. He was working to make money, and all night he was you know, out having a good time. One day, he decides, you know what? There's nothing to this anymore. I'm going back to yeshiva. And uh, the yeshivas wouldn't take him back. He ended up in Lud, in the Chabad yeshiva. He was not from Chabad. He was from a Litvisher family. He took a walk around the yeshiva, 
And he said, Zamakom Shali, this is my place, I'm home. So the Rosh Hashiva said, Are you sure? You know, do you belong here? He said, Trust me, don't worry. So what did he do? He used his skill that he used to have when he was out of yeshiva. He applied that to yeshiva. When he was out of yeshiva, he would work all day and then party all night and barely sleep. So when he came to yeshiva, what did he do? He would go to the regular classes all day. And then all night, he would study in order to catch up everything he had missed out. He barely slept, right? So he used that same wild uh, uh, personality from uh, when he was out of yeshiva. He used that exactly to, to catch up in yeshiva. Not only did he catch up, he started to become a model young uh, yeshiva bacher. And eventually he asked if he could go to New York to, to see the Rebbe. So normally the Rosh Hashiva did not like to send Bachram to the Rebbe because he felt they were too young. But this young man, he was more mature. He'd, he'd, been, he'd been out in the world already. He'd had experience. So it wasn't such a concern. So they told him, yes, you can go to New York. You can go to the Rebbe. So uh, this young man, Ruvain, his name was, he went to New York and uh, he prepared for his first Yechidus. Now, he had been told that your first Yechidus with the Rebbe sets you up for life. Whatever the Rebbe says to you in your Yechidus, this, especially the first thing the Rebbe will say to you, that's like your path in life. So he was very, very, um, you know, focused on this, very intent on finding what's going to be the first thing that Rebbe says to him. So he wrote a long letter. Now, in the letter, he wrote his background about how he had left yeshiva. He wrote about, you know, what had happened. And then, um, but the main part of the letter, he wrote about what he was doing in yeshiva now after he had come back, after and he had joined Chabad, and he was learning chassidus. And he wrote, that was the bulk of his letter about his spiritual uh, growth in yeshiva. So um, the Rebbe took the letter, and the way the Rebbe used to read letters in Yechidus was um, the Rebbe would take the, the letter and put it like on a pencil and like go like this. Like, like scroll, this is kind of card stock here, but like scroll the paper over the pencil like that and like scan the pages very quickly and then put one paper aside and then take the next paper. So the Rebbe read all the papers and after reading the whole report, this uh, young Ruvain, he was expecting the Rebbe is going to speak to him something that's going to set him up in his life for his spiritual path in life, something about what he's studying, something about all the davening he's doing how he's growing and doing uh, mitzvahs with special meticulous care. And after reading the whole report, the Rebbe looks up from the paper and he says to young Ruvain, so you know how to drive a tractor. And the young man was beside himself because the tractor to him represented the dark side. When he left yeshiva and he ran away from Yiddishkeit, he was driving a tractor. So it was repulsive to him. And he was heartbroken that here he had worked so hard and now he made it to the Rebbe. And the first thing the Rebbe said to him was, so you know how to drive a tractor. So he was absolutely heartbroken when he heard this. I'll make a long story short. He stayed in New York. He stayed in 770. He had a very special relationship with the Rebbe. It's known that when the Rebbe, and the Rebbe kept hours all night, the Rebbe would be in his room 
all night. This was the one Bakr who would not leave the study hall until the Rebbe's light in the Rebbe's room would go out. He kept the Rebbe's hours. And uh, he also had a free pass to come into Yechidus when he wanted to. An amazing story. But uh, I'm going to fast forward to the end. At one point, the young man comes to the Rebbe in one of his uh, Yechidusin, one of his one-on-one audiences. And the Rebbe says to him, it's time to go back to the tractor. What was the tractor? The tractor, he was living in Haifa. Haifa is a secular, leftist, socialist town. There's no Yiddish in Haifa. Driving a tractor, that's a working class, you know, like, that's like salt of the earth, really, you know, unrefined. And uh, here he's studying, he, he wants to be a rabbi, he wants to go on and use all of his learning, he wants to... So, something holy or, or, or best, the best thing is just stay in 770 and stay with the Rebbe for the rest of his life. That would have made him very, very happy. And the Rebbe tells him, I want you to go back to Haifa. I want you to go back to the tractor. So uh, he started crying. The Rebbe tells him, either way you have to leave. Maman of Shach, either way. Because... Uh, if I'm a Rebbe, then I know where your soul belongs, and I'm telling you right now where it belongs. And if I don't know where your soul belongs, and I'm sending you to the wrong place, then I'm not a Rebbe, then why would you want to give up your life to stay here with me? So at this point, either way you slice it, you got to leave. And he was heartbroken, but he did what the Rebbe told him to, and he left. And Reuven Dunin went back to Haifa and he got his job on the tractor and he wore a hard hat and he carried his lunch in a box every day to work. And he worked with gruff guys, manual laborers. And uh, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story is that in that capacity, he was able to bring to Yiddishkeit tens of thousands of people who would never speak to a rabbi. If he had been a rabbi in the conventional sense, with a congregation, with a pulpit, the people he was able to talk to would never even speak a word to him because they would, didn't speak to rabbis. But he was a regular guy on his tractor with his hard hat. He was able to be makarev, to bring close to Yiddishkeit tens of thousands of people. So the Rebbe was able to see, here's somebody who had an unconventional path. Here's somebody that the regular system might not have a place for. And the Rebbe not only was able to see how this person has an important shlichus, but that the whole idea of this person being unconventional, not fitting in the box, not being your standard yeshiva bachar, not being the one who went through the, the system the normal way. His life wasn't the plan A, it was the plan B. The Rebbe saw that this itself was the greatest potential, had the greatest power. We have so many layas who have incredible power, who can do things in this world to finish the job and to bring Mashiach. And we need to let them loose onto the world. But the problem always with, the, with, with a leia is, we hold them back. We try to protect them from themselves. We're afraid that they're going to do something outgoing, something novel, something crazy. But the whole reason Hashem made them layers and not Rachels is that they should do something 
unconventional. But we try to protect them from themselves. We try to make them rochels. We try to put a, a, a square peg in a round hole and cause them all this anxiety. And we tell them, you know, a person like you is going to have to marry an ace of. But you want to know the secret? The secret is, Leah really should have married an Asaph. Not because of the reason people were saying, but for a deeper reason. Not because, oh, Nebuch, let the unconventional one, the interesting one, marry the other interesting one. But for a much deeper reason. If Rachel would have ma married Asaph, she, she, he would have devoured her. He would have eaten her alive. She wouldn't be able to accomplish anything in that marriage. But Leah, with her unconventional personality, maybe call them rough edges even, if you will, she could have elevated Asaph. How do we know this? Because we're told like mother, like daughter. Where does the expression like mother, like daughter come from? It comes from Leah and her daughter, Dina. Leah had a daughter named Dina. And Dina also could have refined Asaph. She could have tamed him and brought Mashiach. And when there was that fateful showdown between Yankov and Asaph, that was the opportunity for that to happen. And what happened? Yankov Avino protected Dina from herself. Says he put her in a box so that Asaph wouldn't see her. He was afraid of what would happen to her. Now in the end, we know that tragedy befell her anyway. Anyway, a tragedy befell her. The whole story of Shechem and Chamer, the story of what happened to her. But he tried to protect her from herself by putting her in a box and hiding her away. She had the Koyach of her mother. Dina had the Koyach of Leah. And, and even more so. And she could have refined Esav. And refining Esav means bringing Mashiach. We all know, according to Chassidus, why Yitzchak wanted to give the brachas to, Yitzchak, to, 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 to Esav instead of to Yankiv. Because if Esav could be refined, that's Mashiach already. Dina could have brought Mashiach with the Koyach that she had to refine Esav. But she was protected from herself. She wasn't allowed to. We have in our midst precious Leahs and Dinas and Dinas and Leahs that have unconventional powers for unconventional times to accomplish unconventional tasks which is what's called for now, as we're trying to finish off the last tasks to finish off this Golas and bring, and bring Mashiach already. So for our own selfish, at least for our own selfish motives, if we can't do it out of Avis Israel, if we can't do it because of a chapter 32 of Tanya, at least do it because each one of us has reasons why we're in pain in Golis. And let's put an end to the Golis by unleashing the power of the Leahs and the Dinas who have the, these unusual skill sets. 
And instead of reining them in and putting them in the box like Yankov Avinu did, instead of comparing them to Rachel, who Leah's never going to be a Rachel, and she doesn't need to be a Rachel. Rachel can be a Rachel. And we're not putting down Rachels, by the way. We need Rachels. <laughs> Rachel is beautiful. We need Rachel to be Rachel. But we need Dina and Leah to be Dina and Leah. I'm so heartened and, and inspired and encouraged by what I heard about uh, the two programs that are being done in, uh, in Dina Leia's, uh, in, in, in her memory. The, uh, the life program, literacy, inclusion, friendship, emotional health. That's literally, it's called life and it's literally life-giving. It's literally life-giving. To, to, to give extra support and, and, and encouragement to those who might be struggling scholastically or, or socially, and, and not in a way of pitying them, looking down at them, but in a way of realizing these precious neshamas are assets. These are people who are sent to the world with, with incredible koyach. These are the children that are going to bring Mashiach. And we have a we have a schus, we have a merit to just provide them a little bit of support, a little bit of support so that they can do their shlichus in the world and do what they were sent here for. Also, what we heard about the Dina's happy place is going to be set up in B'nai Chomish. What an amazing concept. What an amazing concept that within the school, instead of so many children who go to school and feel inhibited, they feel crushed, they feel... Like school is a place where they cannot find a safe place to provide within the walls of the school a happy place. And I want to say something. Those of us who have a Rebbe who sees the Neshama in each and every Jew, our Rebbe sees the precious, perfect Neshama in each and every one of us. And not just when we're babies, and not just when we just passed away and left the world. Our Rebbe sees the beauty, the perfection, the potential in every single one of us. Those of us who have such a Rebbe. And those of us who have a guidebook for life called Atanya with a chapter 32, a pedic lave, that teaches us to look at the soul. We have to be at the forefront of inclusion, of supporting every type of child. The forefront. I'm going to say this explicitly and clearly. Those who have the Labavitcher Rebbe as our guide in life, those who have Chassidus Chabad as our, as our guidebook in life, we should not ever be second fiddle. We should be at the forefront. We have the tools. We have the wisdom. We have the light. We have the knowledge. We know how to see and bring out the beauty and the perfection in every single different kind of child. We should be cutting edge and leading this, and the world should be learning from us. And the same way the world learned from us in the world of Shlichus, where we showed in the world of Shlichus what it means to, to love and to cherish every single Jew. We should lead the world in Chinuch, in the educational system, to show what it means to love and cherish every precious Jewish child as a neshama. So if each one of us can take on one thing, one thing, those of us who are parents, those of us who are educators, those of us who are students, one thing toward this cause, and to do this 
in, in, in the merit of Dina Leia and to finish her job and all of our jobs collectively to bring Mashiach already to this world and bring healing to all of us.